श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाय ऐसी भक्ति बनांत स्वामी प्रभुपाद की जाय ऐसी भक्ति बनांत स्वामी प्रभुपाद अभिभाव महामोत्सव तिथि की जाय श्री व्यास पूजा की जाय गौर भक्त वृंद की जाय गौर प्रेमानंदे मॉर्निंग This morning we gathered on the uh day of uh Nandotsav Nandotsav means the utsav the festival of Nanda <clears throat> Nand of course is the uh, Sanskrit uh, verbal root from which ananda is derived ananda means love bliss <clears throat> spiritual uh joy and exuberance <clears throat> and as i mentioned briefly last night the the krishna janmashtami is at midnight so krishna was born at midnight so this is the the day then of the festival at the house of nanda hmm? krishna's father's name is nanda and um it's quite understandable that he would issue forth from uh he who is bliss personified from the verbal root of anandam bliss and explore it in all all of its facets and uh uh or exhibited in all of its facets and has akila rasamrita murti very form of uh rasananda as we discussed yesterday evening <clears throat> and uh and so typically then in the context well in the context of the leela on this this day nanda baba nanda maharaj is uh, of course out in the, in the cow shed hmm, seeing overseeing the milking when a maid servant of a um uh, a daughter a midwife hmm of uh assisting in the birth of Jashoda Jashoda hmm? Yashu means fame and Da means to give so who gives fame hmm? uh, it is uh, uh well known or i should say that Devaki is famous as the mother of Krishna hmm? born in the prison house in Mathura but Yashoda hmm, is happy to let her be famous as the mother hmm, as long as she's actually the mother hmm. <laughs> which is the case in a number of ways of course um in one sense in the principal way uh because uh of the law of affection hmm. one may be your your son from a seminal or a bloodline point of view but another son you may have a more affectionate relationship with it's possible hmm and they'll say actually he's the son of so and so hmm of course this doesn't happen so much in today's modern industrial society where the family unit is um so much uh let's say different than it used to be um when there were many mothers and children would be more readily shared in an agricultural or agrarian based society and community where people were tended to stay together more readily and so forth hm 
Hmm? Um, so, at any rate, uh, this is the case in the least, of course, with Krishna. In fact, um, he was raised by Jashoda in Vrindavan in the Braj in the pastoral setting and it wasn't until he was about 11 years old that he went to Mathura to slay Kamsa, and then he was um, reunited with Devaki and Vasudev there. Um, but many years later, when Krishna went from Dwaraka to Kurukshetra on the occasion of the solar eclipse, this um, this has a, this this Leela corresponds with the famous Rathayatra, the taking of the Jagannath through the streets and so forth, those big chariots in Puri. But at any rate, uh, when Krishna went to uh, Kurukshetra, uh, seated on an elephant and in a royal procession and so forth in his princely Leela, then the inhabitants of the uh, of the of the pastoral setting of his childhood also came to meet him there. It's a very touching setting, Yugul Milan, the meeting between Radha and Krishna at Kurukshetra after many years of separation. <clears throat> but at that time, of course, Jashoda also met with him, and uh, Devaki had accompanied him hmm, uh, from Dwarka and so forth. And when Jashoda came, she, just, he, she saw the measure of her affection, parental affection, her vatsalya, and she stepped aside and said, he's your son, actually. The measure of your motherly affection exceeds mine. This is a very interesting uh, uh, and uh, um, in-depth analysis of bhava and ecstasy, which we were talking about to some extent yesterday. The bhava, the ecstasy, of of uh, Krishna's God is my son hmm? that Devaki feels and experiences is such that if at some point her son should demonstrate that he's God hmm, by doing something super extraordinary like the slaying of Kamsa for example hmm? this was a, for, a, for a child this was very extraordinary and we talked a little bit about how Kamsa was so powerful hmm? yesterday evening when she sees such godly manifestations of Krishna, the Aishwarya, this opulence, this, then, she, then her motherly love recedes to the background. It doesn't go away, it recedes to the background, and that takes precedence. Hmm? However, in the pastoral setting of Vrindavan, hmm, the love of Krishna there is, reaches such a pitch that, for example, Jashoda, his other mother, or his fuller, more full mother, in the sense in which I'm describing, by by a measure of ecstasy and the intimacy of love that it affords, whenever Krishna manifests in that pastoral setting any godly opulence that makes him look uh, extraordinary, special, like God, it does not cause her motherly affection to recede to the background. Hmm? Uh, she could be compared for maybe to some, let's say, to, to a mother who, um, let's say, let's say a mother, uh, a mother's son became the president. Hmm? And so after he won the victory, uh, you know, 
And he says, I'd, I'd like to call my mother out onto the stage. You know, she was so instrumental in the campaign or something like that. And there he is, President so-and-so, and she just runs up to him and says, you know, whatever, you know. Barak. Oh, <laughs> yeah, my little Barak, you know. <laughs> something like that. Uh, the, fa the fact that he's a president, that's kind of secondary, I think. That, that's, uh, you know, it, it, it only augments her motherly affection, something like that. Mm. <clears throat> Is she Hawaiian or? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh, passed away. Bless her heart. So, um, so Mother Yashoda's affection, motherly affection, love and ecstasy in which she experiences Krishna like, uh, like a mother experiences her, her son, with the difference being that, that the object of her love being Krishna is not temporary. Hmm? Uh, it's the form, form of knowledge and bliss and eternity and so forth and so on, uh, compared to an ordinary flesh and blood son that uh, that will pass on in due course, as will the mother and the father and so on. So in Ananda, Rasam, Vatsalya, her the measure of her love is such that Krishna cannot that when he when he when he shows the opulence, it only augments her mother the affection. Hmm? So Devaki could see this and understood. She is Yashoda is the pinnacle of this Vatsalya Rasa, the paradigmatic figure in the Leela that exemplifies the full measure uh, of this. That's why Kavi Karnapur said, he reasoned in his Ananda Vrindavan Champu, that, oh, in the Aprakat, the unmanifest Leela of Krishna, hmm, there's, no, there's no birth Leela. Hmm. The birth Leela... And the child, there he's a Kishore, Nitya Kishore. He's always a, an adolescent in appearance to all of the different devotees with different sentiments. And so he reasoned, how can Mother Jashoda have the full experience of Vatsalya in the unmanifest Leela? How can a mother have the full experience of motherhood if her son's never born? <laughs> she never experiences the birth, which is just such a powerful thing that when your son is born, you look down at him and, whoa, it's like life life changing kind of experience, right? And so he said, for this reason Krishna manifests his Leela in the world, that Mother Yashoda's uh, uh, full measure of Vatsalya could be experienced and the birth Leela and so forth. So <clears throat> Nanda and Yashoda hmm? and of course there are other more technical arguments as to why Krishna is actually the son of Yashoda, but this is the overriding, I think, uh, uh, analysis of, from, from ecstasy as to how she's the full uh, measure of, 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 of motherhood for Krishna. And she, in the maternity uh, room, hmm, uh, after giving birth to Krishna, the, the, the nursemaid came and told Nanda in the cow shed, she didn't tell him anything. She just came and she looked at him and made various gestures and signs by which he could understand. A son has been born. Hmm? A son has been born. So uh, the, the joy of Nanda, who is the root of joy himself, hmm? uh, giving birth in his f fatherly affection, hmm? Also, as Mother showed in her motherly affection, another example of Vatsalya 
to Krishna. These, this is, this is, this mean, what this means to us is that this ecstasy of love for this bhava corresponds with the form of the Godhead. So people ask sometimes, if, uh, if you say God created the world, who created God? Where does God come from? We have the answer. Hmm? We say, well, the world comes from Krishna. They say, where does Krishna come from? Krishna comes from Jashoda. Hmm? Krishna comes from Radha. Hmm? Krishna corresponds, in other words, this face of the Absolute corresponds with certain uh, sentiments of transcendental and wise, realized, uh, divine love. Hmm? So he's one with that bhava and different at the same time. Hmm? Uh, so, <clears throat> so Nanda uh, giving giving birth to joy itself, uh, uh, not in a in a, in a mundane sense, hmm? um, in a transcendental sense. He went then, of course, and arranged for a huge festival, hmm? and giving a charity of cows and and so on and so forth. So this is the day of uh, Nandotsava, his festival. It's described nicely, although briefly, in, uh, in Srimad Bhagavatam. Mm-hmm. But it happens, it so happens that today is the birthday also of Pujapad Om Esi uh, Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, my uh, guru and the grand guru of many of you, and, and the reason in uh, many respects, why we're all uh, gathered here. His contribution to uh, Krishna Bhakti has uh, spawned these type of gatherings all over the, uh, the world. Hmm? And um, so we honor his appearance in the world today on the day of the Nandotsava, and we think that he has also given bliss to the world. Hmm? in the form of uh, the wide propagation of the chanting, for example, of the Hare Krishna mantra, establishment of beautiful temples with beautiful deities of Radha and Krishna, and, uh, and of course, of, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as well, as our temple here is dedicated to, who um, is the, well, we don't go into that. It's a long story. We have touched on it in some of our talks, but Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is considered to be the combination of Radha and Krishna. Radha, Radha Krishna, uh, Shri Krishna Chaitanya, Radha Krishna Nahi Anya. When Krishna, in his most esoteric uh, and introspective moments, wonders, what is it like for Radha to experience me? What is the measure of her love? It's so extraordinary. And as I say, that love is Krishna. In other words, for there to be love, there has to be an object of love that corresponds with it. And so you can't have a teacher without students. There's no meaning to that. You can't have Krishna without love of Krishna. And that love and the object of love, they have correspondence. So wanting to taste her love, this then is the genesis, if you will, in eternity of the Abhatara, the descent of Sri Chaitanya, hmm? who is Krishna appearing as a, as a mystic and a devotee, hmm? pursuing the highest love of Krishna, hmm? Radha's love for Krishna. And his means of pursuing that 
and circulating the opportunity to experience that um, to anyone and everyone was the dissemination of uh, uh, this Hare Krishna Mahamantra and the congregational kirtan, uh, the, 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 the chanting of Hare Nam, Krishna Nam, hmm, as, as we do. Um, so our lineage comes from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? And um, this lineage was uh, formed then a, a little over 500 some years ago while its theological and philosophical uh, um, underpinning, hmm, of course, is all in texts that predate its manifestation by many, many hundreds of years. So the lineage has, uh, uh, was uh, formed at the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his immediate uh, disciples, they drew from all the sacred texts, Gita, Bhagavat, Upanishad, and so forth, and they, they located the ecstasy of Chaitanya hmm, in relation to these texts and then identified him uh, for who he was and so forth. And uh, here we are today, and in the modern world, as, I, as I'm mentioning today, our opportunity to participate in this uh, particular form of uh, an expression of Krishna Bhakti largely comes from A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. Hmm? There was a prediction that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu made, Prithibhiti Achi Jatanagaradigram, Sarvata Pachor Hoibe Monnam. He said that my name will be heard in every town and village. Hmm? And this was spoken, as I say, about 500 years ago. And, it, and after 500 years, the Bengali and uh, uh, Chaitanya Vaishnavas, they started to think about this in a metaphorical sense, in a non-literal sense, hmm? if at all. Huh? Um, Christ was supposed to come again a long time ago. They used to think he was just about to come again, you know. They thought he was going to come even in the life, lifetime of the apostles and so forth. And gradually when he didn't come, at least within Catholicism as I understand it, they started to say, wait a minute, here's how it is. He's come as the church. The church is him. Hmm? The body of the church that was formed and so forth. And so that's a bit of a stretch. But uh, 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 no, no problem. There is some room for looking at some things metaphorically and <laughs> poetically and try to make sense out of them and to maintain their veracity and so forth and so on. Um, uh, and so many Chaitanya Vaishnavas were thinking like this in some type of, a, in some type of metaphorical uh, uh, way this was in, intended and so on and so forth. And, and along comes um, Abhaicharande. Hmm? Abhaicharande uh, later to become A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhu was born in, 19, in 1896, I believe. It just so happened that uh, in that year, the first book in English about Sri Chaitanya and the Krishna Bhakti that he uh, uh, was absorbed in arrived in Canada, in McGill University, penned by the great uh, Kedarnath Bhaktivinod. Hmm? Uh, Kedarnath Bhaktivinoda was a very uh, prominent person in Calcutta uh, in the um, 19th century. 
19th century, as you know, uh, in Calcutta was the seat of the British um, Empire there in, in India. And so India was experiencing considerable uh, influence of uh, the Western world and modernity and so forth, ideas and scientific findings and so forth uh, that were uh, uh, new, new insights. Um, and of course then there was the thrust of Christianity which was ruling uh, the world hmm? still, largely, Christian, the Western world. Um, you know, it used to be that the, the Vatican was, that was it, it was the capital of the world. Hmm. They would send out their armies to, to conquer <laughs> for Christ and so forth. So, uh, it was, you know, still quite prominent, perhaps on the, on the wane to some extent, having given birth to modern science, which then turned on its parent, hmm? Christianity become its, to become its greatest uh, nemesis. Um, uh, as it turned out, but at any rate, the Christian missionaries were there and preaching to the heathens in India, the pagans and so forth. You know, Christianity had a great success in overcoming paganism throughout Europe. There were many pagan, as they're called, religious traditions and so forth, based on superstition and miracles and whatnot, shamans and so forth, to one extent or another. And the, the, the Christians sold one, one miracle that retired all of their miracles. This is it was the main thrust. They were miracle sellers. They sold a miracle that, that, that our our fellow came back from the dead. Hmm? How's that? Hmm? You may be able to make rain or this or that or you know cure this or that to one extent or that. Our guy came back from the dead. There, of course, trying to sell miracles in India is is, is not that easy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a land of miracles. Uh, there's nothing like it. In India is a unique country, uh, for sure. Uh, even everything around it is just only slightly similar, but it's different entirely. And very much a land of miracles and mysticism and so forth. Mystics uh, galore. And, uh, <clears throat> and gurus galore and... and, um, and per capita, more bogus gurus than anywhere else also. That kind of goes with it, I suppose. Um, but, and, but much mysticism and, 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 and in a different way from, from European pagan uh, traditions and so forth, a very sophisticated philosophical underpinning behind the, the, the different uh, schools of mysticism, Vedanta. Hmm? Uh, and as it turned out, of course, with the British influence on, on India, some of the British and Europeans were influenced by Vedanta, Schopenhauer, um, uh, hmm? Schrodinger in science, Schopenhauer in philosophy are, are some uh, examples of actual converts to, uh, to Vedanta. Hmm? Um, and of course it goes on in the, in, in the West today and so forth as um, Vedanta has gained more of a Foothold and Maharaj, whose day, day of appearance we're celebrating, had much uh, to do with that. I, now I'll go into that as as, as we go on. Mm. Um, uh, but uh, Bhaktivinoda Thakur was in Calcutta at this time when India 
and the intelligentsia of India, the pious Hindu intelligentsia, um, were dealing with Western sensibilities, modern ideas, and so forth, and looking at their tradition in relation to that, criticisms of their tradition raised by by Christians and so forth. And so they were you know, re- rethinking, reinventing themselves to one extent or another, looking at their texts and finding uh, ways to understand them in light of modernity and so forth. And Bhaktivinoda Thakur was a big uh, player in this. Hmm? Uh, several sects, like the Brahmo Samaj, you might have heard of it, came out of this. Uh, Vivekananda and uh, the follower of Ramakrishna came out of this, and who came to the West uh, in, in the, uh, a little earlier than that. Um, um, but he westernized quite a bit. He was a chain smoker and um, um, non veg and, and, and so forth. So there were some compromises made by some and so forth, in, in, in some respects, culturally and, uh, and uh, theologically and philosophically and so forth. And Bhaktivinoda Thakur was a, was a prominent person, as I say, in that. He, he was a kind of a, a person who, comparatively, in today's world, would be someone who the, you know, would be a talking head on the television when a certain issue came up. You know, there was a shooting at this place, and Let's bring in Bhaktivinoda, you know, from, a, from, the, from the religious perspective, you know, of Gaudiya, what do you think about this kind of a thing, you know, or that, that, so he's a very, very prominent person, um, and he examined carefully the, all the various religious ideas of the time and so forth, and he, uh, in the context of that, he happened to, and he was Western educated, although um, never went outside of India. Um, he came across Chaitanya Charitamrita. Chaitanya Charitamrita. This book is, uh, means, Chaitanya means consciousness. Charit means character. Amrit means Amrit, immortal nectar. So the immortal nectarine character of consciousness. It, it suggests that this book is, is really uh, seeking to plumb the depths of what consciousness is the uh, very surface understanding would be it's different from matter it's not reducible to matter hmm? that's like enough to pass out on almost mm-hmm. right there uh, you're constituted of something that's non-organic it's supernatural hmm? maybe it's super organic I, you know, <laughs> something like that hmm? So, but to go deeper within that and this is made, to go from Brahma Jignasu inquiry into the nature of Brahman to rasa jignasu, into the into the nature of rasa that Brahman is ultimately, and taking the shape of Krishna, akila rasamrita murti, and so forth, as we've been discussing. So, when he read this, hmm, and it was written in Bengali, what this book is also is a a distillation hmm, of the writings in Sanskrit of the immediate disciples of Sri Chaitanya who were commissioned to as I say, locate the ecstasy that he is in relation to the sacred texts of yore and uh, what, it, what it means, what this person means in the theological, spiritual uh, um, horizon and so forth. And so they wrote about it, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Sanskrit, and this is, of course, the the religious language of the time, if you could write your doctrine in Sanskrit and, and, and 
fashion a commentary on the Vedanta and so forth. You could be a credible lineage of the time. And so they did this kind of thing. And then uh, their follower, Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami, uh, he was commissioned to author the Chaitanya Charitamrita in the Bengali language. Hmm? Much more accessible and uh, uh, widely spoken language even today. It's, I think, the fifth largest language. I don't know why. Pimsleur, and what's that other one? Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone. Don't have it yet for us, but it's a... Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthi Thakur, the guru of my guru, said the whole world will learn Bengali in order to read this book in its original language. So we've got some, we've got to either understand that metaphorically or get going on our, uh, on our Bengali. <clears throat> but it's a very beautiful language. Uh, Bengali is, 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 a, is uh, Bengali is a very uh, romantic uh, language and um, phonetically very, very sweet language. At any rate, he wrote uh, about the life of Sri Chaitanya, and in the context of writing about the life, he gave the teachings of the Goswamis, the immediate disciples of Chaitanya, that had been penned in Sanskrit, and he made this available to the to the wider circle of the common folk, if you will. Hmm? And uh, it, was a, it was an extraordinary literary uh, accomplishment. Hmm? Sri Chaitanya Charitamritam. And when Bhaktivinoda Thakur, many years later, about... 400 years later, read the Chaitanya Charitamrita, he th- felt uh, a, a, a conversion of sorts. They thought, this, this, and all the religious ideas I've studied and looked at, they, they're all found in here and something more as well. Hmm? So I liken him to the first convert, if you will, <laughs> Bhakti Vinod, uh, Western upbringing and so forth, and uh, 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 although he never went outside of India, as I say. And so then he began to write about the Gaudiya Vaishnavism, and he, used to, and he began to write about it in novel ways. Uh, and literally, he wrote a novel, hmm? you could say, Jayavadharma, uh, in which the whole philosophy of Sri Chaitanya was uh, couched and so forth. So these were creative ways to try to um, um, bring to life a tradition for the people of the times and so forth. And one of the books that he wrote was called The Life and Precepts of Sri Chaitanya. And this, in, 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 in his writing effort and in his interface with modernity from a Gaudiya uh, perspective, from the perspective of our, lineage, of our lineage, he wrote to Thoreau and Emerson, who are the, who are the first, they're sometimes called American uh, transcendentalists, hmm? And try to get something going with them, you know, about Gaudiya Vaishnavism and so forth. And um, you know, in those days, we didn't have an internet, and even the, even the postal system was uh, nowhere like it is today in America. What to speak of writing a letter from the village in Bengal to you know Henry David Thoreau and hoping that it would make it there and that he'd get a response and so forth. So, <laughs> as far as we know, he didn't get a response from Thoreau or Emerson. We don't know if they got the letters, but this was this was his outreach, if you will. And his book, one of his books, one of the books that he penned in English, Life and Precepts of Sri Chaitanya, it made its way into to McGill University in Canada hmm? in 19, 1896, the year in which our Prabhupada was, was born. We like those kind of coincidences, of course. <laughs> and uh, 
And so he eventually, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, became, of course, a follower of Bhaktivedanta by way of taking diksha from his disciple and son, the great Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. Bhaktivedanta wanted to interface with the modern world and share the richness of Krishna Bhakti in the Gaudi tradition. And so he fervently prayed for help from above. And it was largely considered and considered by himself that the answer to that prayer came in the form of one of his ten sons, uh, um, whom he named Bhimal Prashad, who later became the great Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati uh, Goswami. Uh, he asked his son and disciple, uh, uh, he uh, uh, actually the his son had two gurus, Bhakti Vinod Thakur, blessed him for chanting Harinam, Hare Krishna Maha Mantra, and then he had told him to go to the, to the mystic Gaur Kishore, Das Babaji, to receive the mantra diksha from him. Hmm? And so under their guidance, and particularly under the, under the, under the um, influence of Bhakti Vinod Thakur, he uh, formed a mission, hmm? trying to give some institutional shape if you will, to the ideas and the religious experience of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, that it might, its propagation, its dissemination might be better facilitated. We may institutionalize for the sake of dissemination, and sometimes, of course, then the institution gets in the way of the dissemination. That happens. Hmm? And he was quick to point that out, hmm? interestingly enough. He, he uh, <coughs> represents the first, uh, I want to say, hard form of institutionalization of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, a soft form of its institutionalization. We're institutionalizing the ecstasy of Chaitanya would be the writings of the Goswamis and Krishnadas Kaviraj that make, helps make it accessible to us, to turn that waterfall, as I said, into a lake, hmm, that we might drink from it and be nourished by that. Uh, so he uh, fashioned a hard form of institutionalization by making an institution hmm, with it runs like this, and we do it like this, and, and so on, and giving some organization to it for the sake of sending missionaries, his idea was, around the world, like the Christian missionaries were coming to, to India. He wanted to send missionaries to the Christian world, <laughs> and so forth, and, uh, and propagate uh, Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Mm -hmm. At that time, as I'm describing, England, of course, was the most powerful country in the world. So he had an ambition to send some students to, to England there. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he did manage to send a couple uh, of students to England. Uh, they didn't have a huge influence, but um, he also made a statement at one point, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur, that I would like to have 10 years in, in, in America. So this was before World War II, but he had the vision that America would become the most dominant country in the world. And um, it was... Uh, later reasoned by Pujapada Bhakti Rakshak Sridhar Goswami Maharaj, the Guru Bhai of my Guru, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, whose day of appearance we're celebrating, he said that, oh, in my estimation, uh, our Guru Bhakti Siddhanta, he wanted those 10 years in America, he got 10 plus 2, 12 years, in the form of his disciple, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, for 12 years circulated around Europe and in America, in particular, hmm? establishing centers, publishing books, and so on and so forth. Hmm? 
So uh, this happened, of course, after the, 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 the departure from the world of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur in about 1930, 36? Hmm? January 31st, 37. January 31st, New Year's Day, 1937. At midnight, all the clocks in ashram stopped. Hmm? And Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur left the world. Hmm? He was a great general of uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's uh, uh, army of Sankirtan, the congregational chanting. Their weapons were their arms, raised like this, in ecstasy. Hmm? <laughs> Surrendered to Krishna. Hmm? Uh, this was this was their weapon, their ecstasy, and they would go out into the villages and everywhere, and even the train stations, and and perform harinams and kirtan and the public and and so forth. And when the news came and rippled throughout uh, Orissa and um, Bengal and Bihar, hmm? the the main circle of the influence of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, that Saraswati Thakur has left the world. Then they took him by train, his body, and in every train station, along every th- throngs and throngs of people came to the platform. Hmm? Both those who, who 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 loved him and those who hated him. Hmm? When you when you try to propagate an idea, you don't ex- don't expect everybody will like you. <laughs> My guru Maharaj, sometimes people criticized that. Sometimes when Swami Tripurari preaches. There's some, he creates some division. Hmm? He said, well, that's because he's, he, he must be doing good then. Hmm? Some polarization <laughs> is, uh, is required. I'm a pretty good harmonizer, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, gotten better. But some polarization. So, but even those who disagreed with him, I want to say, on some points of emphasis and so forth, they all came to the train platforms. What, it, what he had done, what a great extraordinary thing in Bengal because he had taken under the influence of Bhakti Thakur this Gaudiya Vaishnavism and now educated people with doctorates, PhDs and MDs and MBAs and all. They were coming and joining Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And this was at the time that Gandhi's revolution was at its was was really getting somewhere. There wasn't any one young man educated young man or, or uneducated young man, really, or woman in India that wasn't uh, caught up in the Swaraj, the, the pursuit of liberation as fashioned by Gandhi. Hmm? But the revolution of Gandhi was, was, really, was really political. Hmm? He wanted freedom from British oppression. And in Vedanta, of course, we're speaking about freedom from nationalism hmm? <laughs> and more <laughs> freedom from Gandhiism but uh, also a, a burden and, and I don't mean to, under, uh, to uh, we, we offer our respect to him he was a great man uh, of great character and, uh, and so forth but his focus was nationalism hmm? not even the inter- internationalism of course uh, what speak then of of uh, transcendentalism. So, to my point here is to pull young, young educated men and women out of the stream of that of, of Gandhiism, which was catching the whole nation. Everyone wearing the Kadi, the Kadi revolution, and so forth, and wouldn't wear the 
wore, wouldn't wear the milled cloth, only the hand-spun cloth. This was his sign of, you know, you're with me. You know, made in India, hmm? local hmm? <laughs> products, hmm? organic, local cloth only we wear, uh, and, and so forth. Hmm? Hmm? Yeah, and so uh, to pull people out of that was, it was something, uh, you had to have some power. Hmm? And Argumarsh Prabhupada and his godbrother, who became my Siksha Guru after his departure also, they were both Gandhi men all the way. And, uh, and on one occasion, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur came to Calcutta. And one fellow said to, to Abhay Chadan Day that, there's one sadhu here, you should meet him. He says, I met so many sadhus. My father would have every, a different sadhu every night, whether they were sadhus or not. If they called themselves sadhus, he'd invite them. That was his samskar, his tendency. Even if they were smoking hookah and so forth, but he, they, they dressed like a sadhu, he would honor them. Hmm? I've seen so many sadhus, he said. No, but he said, this, this friend said, you should see this sadhu. He is different, different. So he went to see Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur in Calcutta. And Saraswati Thakur, following the influence of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, had some Western and modern sensibilities that he was bringing to Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Hmm? And he would speak about it in that light and so forth. And so this was very compelling for educated people hmm? to hear about Gaudiya Vaishnavism, but in a, in a, from a different perspective, including modern insights and so forth, and uh, you know, weighing in on the scientific uh, thinking of the day from a Gaudiya perspective. This is very compelling. Hmm? And he was moved by his presentation and over and above and beyond that, of course, by the depth of his own spirituality. Mm-hmm. And he said, at that time, I became his disciple. It was 11 years later that he formally became his disciple, but that time I, I accepted him and uh, I must have him as my guru. Mm-hmm. He was a family uh, man, and so he had various obligations and whatnot with regard to the family. But... Um, extremely religious, and he identified himself with this mission of uh, Gaudiya mission, Gaudiya Mat, as it's sometimes called. Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur established 64 monasteries in India. This is, this is during the time of Gandhi. <laughs> and that means they had a lot of young men, in, 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 in particular in those monasteries, and they were energized. They, each one was like a beehive of activity. Mm-hmm. And they weren't just sitting and meditating, but they were using modern technology they had printing presses and typesetters, and you know. And I mean, this isn't like desktop publishing days, uh, and so forth. Digital publishing. This was a big, big operation to have that, and uh, and they were publishing all these Gaudiya texts, Bhagavad Gita, Bhagavat, the works of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, the works of Rupa Goswami, and so forth. Publishing these, and in um, in Bengali and in English. Mm-hmm. for circulation around the world. So these were very extraordinary active uh, moths, active monasteries, um, and with some modern, as I say, sensibilities and so forth. And British were, were, some of them were taken by that. There's a famous letter from a British lady written, uh, having been influenced by Bhaktisiddhanta, she wrote back to her friends in Britain, and she said, I met a sadhu here, he's different than everybody else. Hmm? 
And uh, she went on about him in different ways, and she said, and he uses the British toilet also. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, not that it's necessarily better, but he thought, well, we'll do it the way they do it then. We can do it. We, we, can, we can operate on their soil also, and if that will make them more receptive to the idea, then we, we'll do it like that. So he had that kind of flexibility. Hmm? That he could understand what is a principle of a teaching of a lineage and what is a detail, how to adjust the details such a way that the principle will be delivered and understood and so forth. So he had the sense, he, he, he understood his tradition beyond its cultural setting hmm, and cultural baggage and so forth. He was able to sort out what is the cultural baggage, what is non-essential, and what is essential. This is the idea of the Paramahungsa. Hungsa means swan, and Parama means like the supreme swan. It's said that the swan can separate milk from water. If you mix milk and water, the swan can go in and just take out the milk. I wonder if that's true. (laughs) It's a nice idea. So this emblem of the swan then was sometimes uh, used to uh, speak about great saints. Hmm? Could sort out what is essential, what is non-essential, repackage it and so forth, and that that it might be uh, more readily understood and embraced. Hmm? Um, And to understand it means its universality, its application for all time, in all circumstances, in all cultures, and, and so forth. So this was a powerful mission, and our Guru Maharaj joined this mission uh, and became an initiated member of the mission. And um, um, and he was, as I say, a householder, and so he couldn't live in the monastery. And uh, nonetheless, he had some meetings with Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsi Thakur's Guru Marsh over the years. And his Guru Marsh, uh, he wrote to him just prior to his Guru Maharaj's passing, he said, I'm a householder, I haven't been able to live in the monastery, please, if you could give any service to me, I would be so much um, obliged to any service I could render. And so, Saraswati Thakur wrote back to him, I think it would be good for you if you preached uh, this Gaudiya doctrine in English. Hmm? So our Guru Maharaj became very dedicated to speaking in English and writing in English, and he began to pen a commentary on Srimad Bhagavatam in English. Hmm? And... Um, one thing led to another in his life. Um, uh, the breaking point in his family life was that while he was away on business, uh, he had a, a pharmaceutical uh, kind of business that he formed. He was a, a drug seller, <laughs> a chemist he was, and uh, uh, he made something called Day's Liniment, a Bichon Day, that was his family name, Day's Liniment, and so forth. He's trying to market the thing and you know make make a living, but he was too preoccupied with his religious and spiritual sensibilities. So all of his spare time, and even time that wasn't shouldn't have been spared from you know if you have a business you got to give it all your attention and so forth. Uh, he didn't have the heart for it. His heart was elsewhere with his Guru Maharaj and the mission and so on and so forth. So he made a, a meager living and whatnot. But one day anyway, while he was away. Hmm, his wife sold his Bhagwat, his Srimad Bhagavatam hmm, edition, for tea biscuits, to get tea biscuits. 
and uh, you know, it's not like books were so readily available in those days uh, as they are today. And so that was it for him. He said, "It's tea or me, you know." And me means Bhagwat. This is what I'm about. If you want the tea, then he walked out. Hmm? He walked out on into the shock of his neighbors and everything. He just walked out. Hmm? And uh, so he. This was after the passing of his guru, Bhakti Siddhanta. And the mission of Bhakti Siddhanta had broken up in different, different extent and different factions and so forth. And he, he 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 tried to work with different. Uh, different factions of that, that mission. And uh, he was living as a retired person. Ultimately, he went to Vrindavan. He resided in, in Vrindavan. And he got some advice from someone that if you really want to be successful, have people take you seriously, you should take sannyas, this formal dress with the staff and everything. People, oh, that must be somebody special and and so forth. And so he said... He was he was horrified at the idea, hmm? although he was really already living in, uh, in, in such a renounced way. Um, but he considered that my Guru Maharaj has spoken to me through this person. Hmm? And then he had his Guru Maharaj come in a dream to him, tell him you should take sannyas and so forth. And so he actually approached um, his godbrother, Bhakti Rakshak Sridhar Goswami Maharaj, who lived with him, in his house after the passing of their guru for about six years in Calcutta where he was doing some outreach as a sannyasi, Bhujapad Sridhar Maharaj, who later became my Siksha Guru. And um, so he approached him for sannyas, but the, because he was a, he had lived in the house of Prabhupada for six years, he knew his family, his children, everything. He told me, Sridhar Maharaj told me, I was a little concerned his family will come and wreak, wreak, wreak havoc on my moth. They'll come, you know, just down the road here in Mayapur. They'll all come here and 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 complain and and so forth. You've taken our father. You've taken my husband and and so forth. So he said, I was a little concerned, <laughs> given the intimacy of our relationship, uh, my relationship with his family. Hmm? And he said, of course. And also, I thought, well, it's a little sudden. Maybe he, you know, maybe he should go a little slowly here. And uh, and he said, but but he couldn't listen to that. And he went anyway to another godbrother. He went to Vrindavan and he took sannyas from Pujapal Bhakti Pragyan Keshava Maharaj, who had taken sannyas from Sridhar Maharaj earlier. Mm-hmm. And so the great, uh, well, Abhay Charan was his name at, at, at birth. Bhakti Siddhanta, when he gave him initiation, named him Abhay Charananavindam. Mm-hmm. Abhay Charan means who's Abhay fearless. Charan means feet. So, at whose feet one becomes fearless. It means it's a name for Krishna. Hmm? At whose feet? And so he changed it, Abhay Charananavinda. Hmm? At whose lotus feet hmm? one becomes fearless, to make it more clear. Hmm? So, this name uh, was very uh, important to Prabhupada. From his, his father was, of course, a Vaishnava. He gave him a Vaishnava name. His Guru Maharaj kept, really honored the name that his father had given, just adjusted it slightly. Hmm? And then he took sannyas from Keshav Marsh. Just prior to that, I should mention that he had been writing in English and his writing was compelling. And um, one of his, his, his godbrothers wanted to give him a title. Hmm? Um, who was that? Gosami Maharaj. 
and uh, so he named he gave him the title Bhakti Siddhanta, but that was the title of their guru. So some of the other god brothers, the disciples, complained, "You can't call him that." And so, and so it came to Sridhar Maharaj, and uh, who was very good at these type of things, harmonizing and adjusting names was was one of his expertises and so forth. And he said, "Said we want to honor the sentiment of the other god brothers, so we won't." call him Bhakti Siddhanta, but we'll call him Bhakti Vedanta, which has the same import, but different. So he became a Bhaicharan, Charanandavinda Bhakti Vedanta, Bhakti Vedanta Bhaicharanandavinda. He was just a title. When he took sannyas from Keshav Marsh, Keshav Marsh, the, 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 incidentally, the, 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 the system of Bhakti Siddhanta in creating his sannyas order that we discussed yesterday was that with regard to names, all the names would be Bhakti, and then a two or three syllable name that characterized the person, and then one of the 108 sannyas names. So, Bhakti Abhai Ashram Maharaj. Hmm? Bhakti Vedanta Swami Maharaj. Hmm? So he became Bhakti Vedanta Swami Maharaj, but he kept the AC for Abhaicharan, Abhaicharan Anavindam. So he authored his books and kept his title, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. Hmm? And uh, 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 as a sannyasi, then, living in Vrindavan with just co- utter and complete dependence upon Krishna, once a day you get a meal from the, from the deity in the temple of Radhadamadar, and all day and into the night, late, he would write. Hmm? He would, um, and he would continue that practice uh, uh, all, all the way into the uh, the time that he uh, formed the, the, his international society for Krishna consciousness and, and had uh, temples all over the world and so forth. I remember sitting with Prabhupada in Vrindavan and uh, chatting with him and so forth in the evening, and then he would tell us to take rest, ten o'clock. We'd get up at three or four. And so we take rest, and I got up in the night to the call of nature, and the room I was staying in had a view down onto Prabhupada's upper veranda, and I looked out, and there he was, writing. Hmm? So he would write when we slept. When we slept at night, he would write. One day, another sannyasi, godbrother of mine, Prabhupada was up writing, he called him. Hmm? And he said, why are you sleeping? He said, Prabhupada, I'm tired. He says, he said, you must, you have to stop sleeping. There's too much to do. Hmm? Krishna is too, 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 too beautiful to sleep. Hmm? You should be chanting. I want you to over, overcome the sleeping. It was quite an order. <laughs> and so he was. This, this was. He was really a very extremely uh, driven. Hmm? This is avyartakala. Um, a sign, a symptom of bhava. We talked about bhava last night. Uh, in, in our tradition, the tendency is to not show the bhava hmm, externally by way of tears, um, swooning, passing out, and so to try to contain oneself and maintain external consciousness in the face of the public. But if we want to know who has bhava, there are other ways to tell. Hmm? There are nine wa- nine ways to tell. Hmm? This is one of them. Uh, Abhyartakalatvam. Never waste any time. 
always very busy, spending every moment yeah, in Krishna's service. These are nine symptoms that if you have these, then you know, oh, internally, something's going on in that person, even though he or she may not show that. Hmm? Because to show it, then people can come for that. Oh, so many people come, he's crying, his hairs are bristling and so forth. We want them to come on the basis of understanding the teaching hmm? and so forth. So, um, at any rate, he would stay up at night and write, and and then he would, he would, uh, he would, he would uh, beg in Vrindavan to get enough money to take the train to go to Delhi to try to get his magazine back to Godhead printed, and then it would be printed mostly on borrowed time. He would preach to the printer, and the printer would be moved by him and say, "All right, I'm going to print it. Pay me later." Then he would go to the tea shops where people would gather around and discuss politics. India was a new country now. They had become free from the British. And so uh, they'd all be talking politics and he would go there and, and offer his Back to Godhead magazine. It was there in the tea shops that he found tracks of the Jehovah's Witnesses and other <coughs> Western American-based missionaries. And there you get some information about how they think in America. Hmm? This is very interesting because he would read these things, and, but his preoccupation to go to America was not like any other Indian uh, youth or, or, or adult who wanted to go to India, go to America, because the streets are paved with gold there. Hmm? India is a poor country. To get a passport was practically impossible. To get a visa to go to America, hmm? very, very, very difficult. Prabhupada had a strong ambition to go to America, but it was based on what? Not going to think that I'll, well, I'll gain so much by going to America, but I have something to bring to America. But the Americans have forgotten hmm, about themselves, what is their potential and so forth. And then my Guru Maharaj told me, try to speak in it, write it, and, and, and communicate these ideas in English. So he's very dedicated to this. And he could be preoccupied with going to America without such preoccupation being anything other than, 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 than a purely transcendental preoccupation. Hmm? This is the nature of bhakti. You see, we can be preoccupied with all types of things, apparently, but from a bhakti perspective. Hmm? Like, we don't just sit and meditate, but we're using cameras and printing presses and so many things, and we're engaged in all types of things that would ordinarily be mundane, but for a different purpose in mind. So, in a big way, he was so uh, preoccupied, and, and he was a little disappointed with India, India was preoccupied with politics and a new new regime and so forth, and at the time losing sight of uh, its, uh, its spiritual heritage, its Vedanta, its rich underpinning and so forth. And so he thought to go to America, which is by now then the prominent country in the world after World War II. And um, he approached one lady... Mm, who was a Balaba, a Balaba, from a member of the Balaba Sampradaya, another bhakti tradition, Krishna bhakti <coughs> tradition, who had a, had a, um, a, what would you call it, a, a shipping company, company uh, freight, freight, freight ships. And so he went to her, Moraji, what was her name? Her name was um, Sumati Moraji, hmm? wealthy lady, and he approached her and said, you know, I want a passage to India on one of your ships. And, um, 
somehow he got a recommendation letter from somebody, um, a friend of some previous relative or something who was living in New York. And, but um, um, that fine lady said, you know, Swamiji, you're very old. He was just turning 70. Um, and you should stay in Vrindavan, Krishna's birthplace, and just live out your life there and retire and, and make your life perfect. You don't want to go to America. She said, no, I want to go to America. Hmm? Make America perfect. <laughs> and so um, she refused to send him. He sat on her, in, her, on her, in her yard. Hmm? She was rich. Most people don't have yards in India. But <laughs> he sat there and chanted Japa, Harinam. Hmm? And he wouldn't go away. Hmm? And she kept looking out. He swarmed. He's still there. He's still there. He's not eating. He's just chanting. He's still there. And asked ask the servant, because he's still there. So why would he still there? Hmm? So his persistence was such that she had to acquiesce, ultimately. And she gave him passage on the Jaladutta. Hmm? Uh, Steamliner uh, boat, uh, cargo boat. And so he boarded that on Baladev Purnim, the, the Purnim we just celebrated uh, eight, nine days ago, uh, commemorating the appearance of Krishna's older brother, Balaram, about a, about a week or ten days older. He is Dauji. And so from Bombay, he departed on Baladev Purnim. And this day that we're celebrating, the Nandotsava, and the day of his appearance in the Krishna Janamastami, he celebrated on the high seas of the Atlantic Ocean hmm? uh, and experienced uh, and he was his health was poor and the boat you know wasn't like uh, the Titanic thank God uh, uh, so it was it was a it wasn't a luxury liner by any means it was a cargo ship and he was quite sick on the ship he suffered from a heart attack on the ship hmm? and he wrote about it he, 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 he had a diary his diary's been published on the boat, he never knew what, you know, what that such would be published and what would come of that. But he was just going with, with the faith that my guru Marsh told me to preach in English. That English, is uh, is uh, American English is now the popular English, and so I've got to go to America. This this was his his thought. Guru Guru Nishta, we call this just a very strong uh, Nishta faith in the orders of the guru. And it was just a suggestion from his guru. He took it as the order of my guru, I must go. So at risking his health and so forth, experiencing heart attack, he wrote on there. And there's a famous poem that he wrote in a prayer to Lord Krishna. Uh, one of the most, probably the most significant thing that he wrote there in his diary where he expresses a, a, a prayer to Krishna that my guru Maharaj has asked me to do this and you have to give me the power to do it. He reasons with Krishna very, in a very charming way. He says, my dear Krishna, everybody knows, everybody who know, really knows you knows that your success in life, Krishna, is dependent upon Radharani being pleased with you. Hmm? If Radharani's not pleased with you, your life is a failure. Now, he said, my guru, he's in the bhava of Radharani. Hmm? And, he's, and she then, has asked me to do this. And so what I say to you is that if you want to please her and make your life perfect, you have to give me the power to fulfill her, uh, her order of, of me. Hmm? Uh, to go <laughs> it's very spiritual, very beautiful, very charming. Hmm? And, uh, and then he, 
he, he exhibits very uh, powerfully in his the first part of his poem this Sharanagati. Sharanagati means surrender, complete self-abnegation, complete dependence upon Krishna. Uh, I'm putting myself in this position, emptying myself out. You have to fill me up with the power to do this. I'm going to land in the Boston Harbor, and I don't know turn, whether to turn left or right. And he said that. Hmm? And so I depend completely on you. And if you give me that power, and I can be successful in fulfilling my Guru Maharaj's order of me, then I have a second request. So then he moves from Saranagati hmm, uh, to, to, to his Baba. Hmm? And that is, I want, I want to go to you. Hmm? And I want Tomara Milani by Abar Sheshukapai. Gocharani Guridin Bor. Banikai Chutta Chuti. Kota Bani Chutta Chuti. Banikai Lutaputi. Sedin Kabihabimor. Sedin Kabihabimor. This is his spiritual, deep, deep aspiration. When or when? Sedin. What day? Sedin Kabihabimor. When will that day come to me? When will that day be mine? But I can join you, Krishna. Tomaramilane Bhai. Oh, my friend, Krishna. Bhai. This is how he thought of Krishna. Bhai. Hmm? I want to come and join with you. And what will we do? Gocharani Guridinbor. Throughout the whole the day, we will pasture cows. Hmm? Going through the different forests of, of the Braj, herding cows. And Kotavani Chutte Chutte Bani Kai Lutoputi. Just listen to those words, you know. Chutta chutti lutta puti. It means, <laughs> this is Bengali, very beautiful. I will fall on the ground in ecstasy, rolling and uh, herding cows and frolicking in the forest with you. Hmm? Uh, my friend, when will this day come? This is Sakyabhava. Sakyabhava means he loved Krishna like a friend. Hmm? Krishna's his bhai, he's giving his, his, his brother, friend, he's giving him a device. Listen, my dear friend, if you want to make your life successful, you've got to please Radharani. So I've got a proposal for you. She sent me here. She asked me to do this. You give me the power. Hmm? I'll fulfill that. Then I want to join you in this way. And we have no doubt that Krishna was charmed by such a prayer because such power he got. Hmm? Such power he got. When he landed in the Boston Harbor, he turned left and went to New York. And he had a couple of books. He lived in the Bowery on the street as a homeless person. He would go to Tompkins Square Park and chant with a little pair of cartels. He would just chant Hare Krishna. And this whole thing has come um, out of that. Various missions, mission he formed after his departure, missions like ours that are separate from uh, that particular institution for various reasons and others and so forth. So... Uh, um, as I say, we are all here today at this particular place um, because of his work. And there are places like this all over the world. In fact, during his presence, when his campaign was, he was active in, in the campaign, he was going, traveling everywhere and teaching. And as I say, at night when the students would sleep, he would stay up and write hmm, uh, his books. And he was right there again in the morning to meet us and so forth and give us a class and so forth. And, uh, and there were places in the continental America that he never went 
I'll give you an example. He never went to British Columbia, uh, Vancouver, in Canada. But under his influence, a temple uh, uh, was established there with 300, who, 300 students of his, all Canadians, 300 disciples of burgeoning, flourishing uh, mission. He never even went there. Hmm? <laughs> and that's just one example. There are numerous examples in Latin America. Uh, he went once in a small, short tour of, of Central America where temples had already started, hmm? already begun under the influence of his disciples and so forth. It is said hmm, that about uh, superlative devotees in Krishna Bhakti that uh, upon seeing them, hmm, one feels cause to chant Hare Krishna. Hmm? Krishna Nam comes on the tongue. Hmm? Without seeing him, just hearing about him, people were caused to chant. <laughs> this is a very extraordinary. Hmm? So that Shakti that he prayed for, Krishna gave him in no small measure. Indeed, later on, after this mission of, uh, of 12 years of circulating the globe, hmm? Um, and in writing uh, uh, 60 volumes of books, hmm? the commentaries on sacred texts and so forth primarily, uh, establishing so many uh, monasteries and, and, and whatnot, thousands of disciples. Uh, Bhakti Rakshak Sridhardev Goswami Maharaj's godbrother, who's under whose guidance we, we came after, after Prabhupada's departure, reasoned about his campaign, and this is a close friend of his. Again, he, they lived together in in Prabhupada's house for, for six years. They were very close. He reasoned about him and, 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 and he said that in my estimation that he is empowered, hmm, Abish, empowered by Krishna's Shakti to do this kind of work and he happened to have a copy of that poem and he, he traced it back to this on the boat. This empowerment came in such a big way and so forth. And later he was asked well, what kind of empowerment was that because there are different types of Abish. Bhakti Avesh, Jnana Avesh, Palana Avesh, and so forth. Uh, and he said very nicely, a very, uh, in a very compelling way, Nityananda Avesh, the other, other self, if you will, of, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Nityananda. He said, I think his, 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 his influence lived in him. Then he gave so many examples of how to substantiate such a spiritual conjecture, the nature of his campaign, was like Nityananda Prabhu. It's not with the, he didn't sharpen his pencil hmm, as much as sometimes we might like. That's my service. Sharpen the pencil and reiterate what he actually said here, what he meant here, and so forth. Hmm? That's my small task. I'm his pencil sharpener. He wrote, but he had many things to do. So, you know, if you're going to sit and write a scholarly book, it takes a lot of time, and he was writing them fast, and he had a, 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 lot, a lot of things to accomplish in a small period of time. Wide campaign, wide circulation for anybody and everybody to take to the chanting. His, his the nature of his outreach was, was was rather deep, but but primarily broad. Hmm. It's deep because it's Gaudiya Vaishnavism. That's unavoidable. But more broad, wide circulation was his uh, forte, so to speak. Hmm. This was like the campaign of Nityananda Prabhu, who really began Gaudiya Vaishnavism, when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu told him chant Krishna. Follow the teachings of Krishna, 
chant Krishna Nam, mm-hmm. um, worship Krishna. Nityananda Prabhu said, heck with that. Bajago Ranga Kahago Ranga Lahago Ranga Nam. I'll chant the name of Goranga of Chaitanya. He's Krishna. Uh, I'll follow the teachings of Chaitanya. Mm-hmm. And um, worship him. And so this is the beginning of Gaudi Vaishnava. So he was very like bold and and uh, he would follow the feet of people and ch- asking, begging them to chant and so forth. So Prabhupada's campaign was like this. It's very, very bold, very broad. And uh, many, anyway, Pujapad Sridhar we discussed this before, I won't go into detail. He gave many, many examples to substantiate his point. Uh, I'll mention one, of course, the establishing of Krishna and Balaram Murti in Vrindavan, the homeland of Prabhupada. Prabhupada considered Vrindavan his home, Mayapur his place of worship. Bombay was his office in, in India, at any rate. And so uh, in his home in Vrindavan, he established the deities of Krishna and Balaram. And this is the home of his heart, of course, that is expressed in his prayer, that Sakyabhava, Sakyarasa, which is very extraordinary and kind of a, uh, more rare to find in our Sampradaya, the more usual uh, more common, I should say, is to find the Madhurya Bhava. Hmm? Of course, we've analyzed closely, we can see his Sakya is mixed with Madhurya Bhava. Hmm? Uh, but these are, uh, of course, deeper ideas. Suffice to say that um, we are all indebted to him for his contribution. This is a little bit of the history of um, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada and his, his contribution. All uh, Gaudiya people are indebted to him. Sripad Bhakti Govind, Sundar Govinda Maharaj, the successor uh, to uh, Bhakti Rakshak Sridhar Goswami Maharaj in the mission of uh, Chaitanya Saraswat Mat, once said uh, with a chuckle, we are all living on the remnants of Swami Maharaj. That's his uh, re- reference to Prabhupada. We're all us Gaudiya people, we're all living on his remnants. What he did, what he got going, we're all just living on the remnants of that. Hmm? It's true, <laughs> and it's and it goes beyond Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Also, uh, even outside of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, people who had appreciation for Krishna in other sampradayas and so forth, they were he he, he made a like a, a like a highway, a bridge across the ocean from India, and so many people have walked on that since. Hmm? Uh, with regard to Krishna Bhakti, he made it easy, so to speak, to come and. And, uh, and and so, we any any sadhu really worth her salt, hmm, worth her real spirituality knows <laughs> this is somebody that we have all uh, we very much appreciate a day like this where we could get together, and and reflect on his um, contribution uh, to the world. Even people in Vrindavan who had material sensibilities and so forth, sakama bhaktas who have do bhakti for material things. They also are indebted to him. I remember in the marketplace, hmm, he would bring his disciples, all of us, some, to, to, to India, and we would be shopping for the deities and the temples that we had established to buy saris and uh, mukuts and, uh, uh, and so on and so forth. And all the shopkeepers, they became wealthy. <laughs> all their sakama, their desire, material desires, they're all fulfilled by Prabhupada's mission. They became wealthy merchants. He became the patron saint of the, of the what was called Loi Bazaar. It was a Loi Bazaar means a, it was a wool market, but it turned into like a deity shop market and so forth. 
and every marketer was carrying a picture of Prabhupada, you know, <laughs> in, in their shop. They take down this, even the picture of Ganesh and put Prabhupada there. You know. <laughs> this would bring more business and so forth. So, uh, e- e- even materially speaking, those with Sakam were doing bhakti for material reasons. He made them wealthy, fulfilled their ambition. That's a nice question. Um, Prabhupada is a is a title that's um, you know Prabhupada who at whose feet other Prabhus, other teachers also take shelter and so forth. So I think that um, it's, it's an appropriate name to you know refer to an acharya by. Um, and I think that his disciples just saw that Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthi Thakur Prabhupada, and so they just started calling him Prabhupada, and, and they liked that, so he accepted it. Um, but it was a little low-key. And um, at one point, he brought some disciples back to India, and on the day of Pujapad Sridharmarsh's Avirbhava appearance, where they would have a festival, hmm, he said, today I want to take you to Sridharmarsh's moth, and we learn how to observe the glorification of the Guru on the day of his appearance. So his own disciples hadn't been doing that, I, I, I guess, at the time. And, um, and so they went to Sridharmarsh's moth, and the ceremony was held and so forth. And then Kinchina Krishnadas Babaji Maharaj was there, who was a famous kirtanir, and the godbrother of Prabhupada and Sridhar Marshas. And after the, uh, uh, the kirtan, Pranamami Shada Prabhupada, but on this song that was written by Sridhar Marsh glorifying Bhakti Siddhanta, that's it's, uh, every Gaudiya Mat sings a song every day, and uh, it's a very nice song. After the song, he started singing Jai Prabhupada, Jai Prabhupada, Jai Prabhupada, Jai Prabhupada. And so Prabhupada's disciples then asked, Can we say that? Can we sing that? You know, like. And so, uh, in relation to you, so that's where the kirtan of Jai Prabhupada came from. But apparently they were referring to him as Prabhupada a little earlier. Some of the, um, his godbrothers objected to that. Hmm? And, but Sridhar said, I, I think it's right for him, to, for his disciples to call him if they find enthusiasm in that. He said, well, the work he's doing is very extraordinary. If you could be a bell ringer in his mission, you'd be doing good. He told some of the... <laughs> told some of the sannyasis who were complaining, so he was a, a champion of the, the cause of Prabhupada. But I should look into that. That's an interesting question that I... How many dasis tell that story? You know, they heard that, they, he had mentioned Swamiji was kind of a third class player, you know. Yeah. You could, yeah. Yeah. So, maybe it came from the enthusiasm of his students. Jai, Sivakthivananta Swami, Prabhupada ki jai, Shivyasa Puja ki jai, Avir Bab Mahamud Svatiti, Sivakthivananta Swami, Prabhupada ki jai, Gaur Bhakta Brinda ki jai, Bhut Premanande.